Another edition of Let Me Tell You Something is myself, Luke Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross. Watch every match that we can find that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher in his time as the critic, the writer, the editor-in-chief of the Wrestling Observer newsletter. And that or higher comes into play yet again because it's another six-star outing and it's from those specialists of the outings as we enter the second part of our 2017 G1 Climax Trilogy. It's the B-Block final, Simon. And who is it between? It's between those boys, Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada. This is uh, obviously the follow-on to two matches that we've both mutually given five stars to. The first one of which is now my number five in my overall list and Simon's number two. We've yet to do another debrief since then. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they stand and whether the one-hour draw at Dominion has also been added to that list or not for either of us. Um, but this is a funny third chapter because it's definitely not a concluding chapter of a trilogy. It's the most story and psychology-heavy match in that that's at the forefront over explosive moves and jaw-dropping spots, I think, wouldn't you say so? And I think part of that is because of the nature of the story as it is in progress, but also the G1 Climax itself, with all block matches having a 30-minute time limit. So they have half of the time to work with compared to their previous match, and the match before then had also gone to 45 minutes. And so let's just go straight into it, because that's what they do. They go straight into it. It's basically... Uh, a 26, 27, eight, 28 minute finishing stretch almost <laughs> in this match. Well, like right, right from Jump Street, they're going for like uh, the won't V triggers, one wearing angels, rainmakers. But as with the arm injury to Tanahashi, this is uh, factoring in the psychology of the tournament long storyline, specifically for Okada. Because the whole thing with Okada at this point is that he's on this record-breaking reign as IWGP heavyweight champion. He's having all these amazing matches. He's turning over every challenge that he faces, with the one blemish now being the time limit draw with Kenny Omega. And, you know, the champion never wins at the G1 Climax since 2000 at all. But Kazuchika Okada is such a dominant ace figure that maybe in spite of his, you know, banged up body and everything, he's still pulling win after win out of the bag. First tournament night, he goes, beats Toriano, beats Michael Elgin in 25-49, beats Sonata in 20-49, beats Satoshi Kojima in fifteen twenty six, beats Juice Robinson in twenty twenty nine, and beats Tamatonga in eleven twenty two. So he's wrestling some punish. You know, there's only one match. There's only two matches that go under 15 minutes for him in this run. So many of those also being main event matches. And Kazuchiro Okada is in himself the scalp to get for everyone yeah. else. On top of it, like to beat Okada, you're also 
even if you don't win the G1 Climax, you're probably going to get a heavyweight title shot going in. And he's the only one that's undefeated up, up to that point on the 6th of the 9. So two-thirds into the tournament, he's the only undefeated member of his block, and I would imagine of all the tournaments so far, as he's so dominant. But then finally, it all catches up to him when he faces Evil in Osaka. And Evil, through his ruthlessness and his, like... Smell it like he sees an opportunity and he takes it upon himself with Okada's already injured back and neck area to powerbomb him onto a stack of chairs in the out on the outside in the arena. <sighs> Okada still desperately beats the count to get into the match, still and takes even further punishment, including Evil's Everything is Evil STO finisher, which sees Evil claim his first ever victory over Okada. So who does Okada have to face in his penultimate match before this goes off, before his final against his longtime rival Kenny Omega? Minoru Suzuki. Oh Jesus Christ! And what happens to him? He battles him to a thirty-minute time, time, time limit, limit draw. Just <laughs> the one recovery match you didn't want. <laughs> yeah. So Okada is hurt going into this match. But what is also significant within that is that he still has a one-point advantage over Kenny Omega with that time limit draw. So that means that Omega has to beat him within 30 minutes. Yeah, otherwise no G1 final. (laughs) He hadn't beaten Okada when they fought for 45 minutes. He hadn't beaten Okada when they fought for 60 minutes. But he's got to do it, and he's got to do it quick. So yeah, he's got to do it quick, and he's got to pull out every ruthless trick in the bag. And he's utterly merciless when he goes after Okada's neck and back, back of his neck, back and and top of his like shoulders and upper back area. He'll like like rips at the bandages. Even at one point when like Okada's just getting back into it, instead of like a clever move or anything, he'll just slap and slap away at his back and his neck. To just regain control and oh yeah, I know what I'll do. I'll do a reverse hurricane run to you on the outside. Oh, oh, just oh. it's not like a bad. Oh, it, it's a brave bump to take. There are a few brave bumps to take in this match, um, but yeah, just throughout the course of the match, and there's a great line from Don Callis after Okada after Omega hits him with a uh, missile drop kick. He basically says that tape is a bullseye to Kenny Omega. Yeah. And he he does zero in on it. You are right. Yeah, and when he applies submission holds, he's focusing on the neck. He does a neck crank like a, an old demolition hold, I remember. They'd always love to do. Uh, he puts him into a rear chin lock, and he does this bit as well. I loved when Okada reaches for the ropes with his right arm, so Okada, so Omega grabs that right arm and tucks it under his knee. Yeah. So that Omega can't use that to get to the ropes. He has to use like he has to stretch his body and therefore put more pressure on his neck to get his leg to try and get to the rope. So yeah, like the Tanahashi in the Naito match, he's the walking wounded at this point. Mm. And it's all about the pressures of being the champion, the one that everyone wants to beat. Omega maybe even more so than anyone else because he's the one that's come closest in recent times, other than Evil, obviously. Who did it? And that maybe is a chip on a mega shoulder, the fact that someone else has pinned him mm. in one-on-one action. And, Especially and a stable, mate. Because he hasn't been able to beat Okada twice, he knows that he's not necessarily going to be immediately in line for another title shot. Yeah. So the only way that he can get to him would be to win the G1 Climax. 
and then get to Wrestle Kingdom. Had um, Omega beaten Evil in this match? Assumedly he had. Uh, Omega had... Omega had... It's not. Yes, he had beaten Evil. So there you um, go. A guy he he's defeated. He beat Evil the uh, the block day before Evil then went on to beat Okada. There you go. So a guy I can beat, quite who doesn't give me anywhere near as much trouble as Okada, then beats Okada. It's just like, oh, for God's sakes! Mm. So there's got to be an element of that going through Kenny's mind from a psychological standpoint. The fact that someone else has done it. Yeah, it's um. So yeah, it's like I said, it's so funny just seeing them go through everything immediately, and it's like essentially the pre, like the the early portions of the match have been the rest of the tournament. Yes. <laughs> well, this is it. Like you, you can tell your story over several nights, and you, the stall has already been set. Uh, effectively, I know it's not. I know I referred to it, especially in the last um, one where there were level on points. This mm. is still a semi-final because it's a semi-final second leg of sort of though because a card can escape with a draw mm. if you see what i mean yeah, so yeah. well that's the thing so we know that they go long so can okada hold out yeah but does okada and that's the thing it's like okada doesn't wrestle defensively he is trying to win the match again because okada still wants to have that definite another definitive win over omega as well like this is an opportunity for him to nail that coffin shut I think there's another psychological layer to that as well, though, because if you look at the portion of the match after um, Okada's been checked over by the doctors following the um, Hurricanrana to the floor, um, I think he's realised covering up won't is actually a quicker way to lose the match mm. if I wrestle defensively. I have to sort of be aggressive to survive. You have to fight I, fire if, with fire. Yeah. If, if I just you know, brought, uh, pull up the drawbridge, the castle's going to come down. I've got to really go out and meet him on the battlefield. <laughs> but you've got to come out and meet him, otherwise you're just going to get overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and and there is that pride thing. I think the whole thing about Okada is that he's cocky and he's prideful and he thinks he should win every match. So yeah. it's like Okada, even though he knows that the champions rarely win the G1 Climax, he's like, yeah, but that's going to happen for me. Of course I'm going to win it. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. I'm okay. It's got that, and that's so that's funny because it's like he's the one that's like, in theory, is protected so strongly in booking and rarely loses. So that means it might, like, losing means even more to him because yes. he hates it so much he can't stand it. But it's... Um... It's like, you know, there's no worse loser than, like, Alex Ferguson or something <laughs> like that, you know? Ronaldo's a great example. Yeah, yeah. Zlatan. Right. Yes. It's pretty obvious that Roger Federer doesn't enjoy losing in the slightest. <laughs> Stephen Hendry always had a strop on after he'd lost a match. But that's how winners are made. Like that, All those people we've described are elite athletes. The elite? The, the elite? Because they're all there. Oh. I do love um, that, it's the subtle corner work they do. Like yeah. they, um, Callis mentions obviously in the commentary that they've become a lot less physical in terms of their involvement in the matches. Um, he's mentioned it at like a couple of points throughout previous episodes. He, um, 
it's just like little like bits of encouragement they give, and it's like little like bits of like um, shit talking to um, Okada when yeah. he's down and arguing with the ref over hypocrisies and everything like that. Yeah. Like, when's the count gonna start? And so, like I said, the whole the whole key of the match is how hurt Okada is, and he's still fighting on through it. And that this is Omega's opportunity to do something. Like, he's never going to have a better chance to achieve what he hasn't achieved and very few people have achieved over the past few years. Yeah. And so he's taking... And he's trying to do whatever he can. Like, he is merciless when he goes after the back. And there's and he's trying to get to Okada as well. Like, he kicks out of something at a one counter, uh, like, halfway through the match. And Don Callis says, can you imagine how much that affects Okada to see <laughs> Omega kick out of something at one? Just to, like break his spirit mm. just so he can break his body even more and so like i said we, we, as we've already alluded to that reverse runner on the floor and it's a nasty bump it is hot again like i hate to beat a dead horse uh, and i hope that that doesn't become an unintentional uh, pun in the future but it's such a horrible looking move that requires so much effort from the person receiving it and they're also putting themselves into so much danger because they've got to hold on to the legs as well so it's like they've got to pile they've got to give themselves an even more difficult canadian destroyer essentially like it's a it's a more difficult bump than a canadian destroyer bump is because you do the level of space you do a canadian destroyer the, the the other guy's ass is hitting the mat and it can hit the mat before your head can be there yeah so they can help protect you but there's like next to nothing someone performing the move can do to the receiver other than try to stay out of their way yeah. when they do like their moonsault. Maybe get knees knees and like shins down on the mat before the head. Mm. Because it does look like Okada's head basically hits the mat. Yeah. And I was genuinely I remember watching that live the first time and I thought it's possible he's dead. In that moment I thought he could yeah. be dead. And, like, the Doctor turns up and this is good. I would assume good storytelling on the part of New Japan, like, getting the Doctor involved to really put across how much, how dangerous that was and that might be the finish. Yeah. And how uh, Okada is in very deep water. Not just, like, the sort of water where he, like, gets through it, like his previous two outings with Omega, but he's in big, in bigger trouble. The danger is more pronounced. Which obviously you have to do when there's time constraints. It's not like Omega a, a could have then worked on that for a 10-15 minute spell just to further hammer home the point. The point had to be hammered home well, yeah. in a condensed manner. Like he throws Omega Okada not even into the ring as quickly as possible. He puts him on the apron so that he can then do a dragon suplex on the apron. Yeah. Which they do a brilliant build up to of like Okada desperately trying to fight and, and Vince and... Omega having to really get that full Nelson in and then and you notice how he gets the right arm and it takes a little bit quite a bit a few seconds for him to fully secure the right arm but because the left arm's damaged because of the uh, neck issues it's sort of like like it's it's not limp but there's a lot less resistance with the second arm than there is the first because a because possibly of the damage to his neck and maybe the strain that having already got an arm secured puts on your neck trying to stop the other arm getting secured i I don't know if you caught that it's just like a little subtle extra bit of selling or maybe i'm just reading too much into it but i I like that it was a really nice touch (laughs) 
it's just like a really nice little way of just emphasizing the points ever so subtly which i just love it's the little things that okada does that separates him from others and so yeah okada's just great uh at eliciting sympathy and, and energizing a crowd like like and it's a callback to the previous match as well because it was Okada that had omega in this greatly weakened state and it's like will they throw in the towel given how badly omega is and i don't re- recall them actually talking much about it but i think actually no they do because you do see gato with the towel yeah so they do say maybe gato has to throw in the towel but they don't like make a I don't see them like. There's no moment when Gato's holding the towel, thinking whether or not to throw it in or not. Ah, uh, he's he's got that anguished look on his face to, um, when V triggers are just being rained upon uh, Okada's jaw. Ah, mm. uh, and we've talked about it before, but once again, can we just appreciate the sound that Omega makes when he does those? Oh man, I don't know how he does them. Uh, it's really is insane how good he is at it. And, and or maybe maybe it's as much like the person receiving them is as much responsible. Like I saw recently a uh, footage of Tyler Bate taking a lariat, and you see that it's actually Tyler Bate that slaps his thigh. Yeah. At point of contact because obviously if someone's throwing the arm, they can't necessarily slap the thigh because they've got balance issues. Yeah, yeah. Um. So some of that might be Okada himself. Um. But yeah, it's like so. Then they go into a forearm exchange, and Okada tries to fire up, and like I said, Omega's cutting it up off. So in this one, it's definitely Omega as the the heel and... Well, not so much... Well, yeah, the heel, but also Okada is all about it generating sympathy from the crowd. And, yeah. like, as soon as Okada fires up with elbows, then Omega just, like, I'm not going to engage you on that level. I'm just going to start slapping you in the neck because that's what does it for you. And again, just... the key is that one-winged angel. He goes for it the first time Okada turns it into a tombstone. But then, like, Omega's the first one up at that point, and... He goes up into the corner, setting Okada up for a superplex, which Okada blocks, elbows him off, and then he hits a, a missile drop kick, and Omega does another one of those amazing flying bumps that sends him to the opposite corner of the ring. Oh, I did love that. But Okada's yes. neck's hurt, and oh, early on in the match as well, I missed this, early on in the match, Okada goes for the nip-up, but it's like he thinks it through and he can't, and so he doesn't. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Shawn Michaels even incorporate that into his matches. But I guess the nip-up is like, it's not even like teased or anything. It's like just a sudden momentum shifter. But yeah. I don't know. It's part of his there's, adrenaline. There's never been so... that much. I don't recall that many Michaels matches where it's been about limb work. I know he had like a, he had one with Triple H was all about going after his knee, but that's because he genuinely had a knee injury. Mm. So he had to work a limited way of doing it. But Okada like tries to like is willing himself back into the match like Tanahashi. He's just trying to find that opening. Like he does the rainmaker pose within the first few moments of the match itself. So it's like his sign of he wants this to be over early. And so the longer it goes, weirdly, even though the longer it goes, it works to Okada's advantage. It's also a case of he's he's getting into like you say deeper and deeper water. So it's he's getting more digged up. Float, you know. Yeah. But uh, Omega slaps away the rainmaker, um, and then you do the classic move. Okada runs into a V trigger, and then Omega drums walks runs into a gorgeous drop kick, like maybe the best drop kick Okada's done, and that is saying something. Yeah, it just executes them so well, so well. Mm. That's I don't get how he's that accurate all the time. Yeah, it's perfect. It's precision. Yeah, and 
yeah, so then, like, then it's the, it's the usual... F- Again, they've saved the V triggers and the drop kicks and everything for the end portion of the match. And then it's just, you know... Liberally applied. Crazy at that point. Yeah. So Omega kicks away the Rainmaker, hits the V trigger. Okada hits a German suplex, carries it through to do the Rainmaker, but Omega catches it and hits maybe the best Uranagi suplex ever. Smashes him into the mat. Spikes him. Like a temp peg. He tries to do the one-winged angel, but Okada is able to reverse that into the Rainmaker at the 20-minute mark. So we're, you know, a third through the Dominion match, and it's clearly coming to the end this time in the G1 match. Yeah. Um, that gets a very long two count. And uh, then then it's funny, Omega then, because it's factoring in the time limit, it's like he's heard the 20-minute time limit, so now he's just going for pins, because he turns, uh, uh, instead of just kicking away a... a uh, the tombstone, he turns that into a victory roll, and then immediately follows that up with a backslide, and then brilliantly Okada rolls out, but holds onto the wrist short Rainmaker. And maintains wrist, wrist control. control. Hits it again, he goes for an, like a full ripcord, and then Omega turns that into a German suplex, follows that up with a second one, the second one, a really nasty high angle. Gotta spike him. Gotta make it count. Uh, yeah, and and then it's then it's another reverse Rana. Uh, and then a uh, and then he goes for the one wing angel again. Um, Okada turns into Kreutz Wrath. Yeah. So it's like a greatest hits at this point. It's very similar to the Naito match, I guess, at that you know of last year, where he's busting out these other moves. But it is that again. It's that. Omega's just trying to finish off Okada Okada's trying to hold on and either find that opening himself to get the win or manage to go the full 30 minutes Um, which he has you know obviously he did with Suzuki done with Tanahashi several times in this G1 climax in previous years Um, yeah and 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 then he hits maybe this one's the drop kick that, that's the best drop kick I've ever seen but whatever one of the one of the drop kicks in this match might be the best drop kick I've ever seen um but the smorgasbord there yes Rainmaker's reversed into another V trigger a ripcord V trigger and then he hits a J driller which is kind of a tiger driver mixed with a sit out pile driver uh, it's like um, Christopher Daniels angel wings but rather than yeah. fall forward you fall straight down well, it's just it's a pile driver from from butterfly locked positions. Yeah, uh, which was just Jay Briscoe's finisher. That's why they refer to it as the Jay Driller. Um, that gets a really long two count, but Okada's just got nothing left, and so it's not like a you know sometimes it's about whoever hits the next move wins. But this one is just clearly can Okada Okada's got nothing left, and Omega senses it. V trigger in the ropes, pulls him into the middle of the ring. One winged angel. He hits it at last in the middle of the ring and he gets that three counts. I did love... When they're 1-1-1. One, one, one. <clears throat> and I did love a little callback to their previous matches when... Um, this is because we brushed past it. I do really want to emphasize this point. When Okada has just eaten two massive V-triggers and Omega goes for a third and Okada collapses, obviously in homage to the time that um, Okada had rainmakered him to the point where he couldn't stand... Enough for the third straight Rainmaker. It's a nice little callback. I like that. 
I like how I do love how New Japan goes. Remember that from then. We're doing it now. Although this one, um, it doesn't have the chance to do as many callbacks, as many built, you know, uh, references. In, yeah, uh, compared to other ones, but they still got one in. It's just their nature, you know. I like that. Um. So yeah, Simon, would you give this one five stars? I have to detach myself a little bit here. I have to unplug this from the other two, um, Okada and Omega matches, if you see what I mean, though, uh, in a sense, because they were insane. And if I compare it to those two, it isn't five stars, but it is five stars. I am giving it five stars, but to, to do so, I've had to... Take it for what it was, if you see what I mean. I had to overcome that obstacle that was in my mind. It told the story it had to tell perfectly. Yes. It was a different thing. It was like, you know, it wasn't. they weren't handicapped, but they couldn't reach the full potential that they liked to work towards. They were limited, but they worked within those limitations to create something different. And what they created was perfect in itself, but it was like, you know, you're working within certain um, parameters. Well, and their whole thing is about essentially creating something new and better from wrestling. Sometimes parameters are previous expectations. Because Dave Meltzer gave it six. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's really, it's it's really good. It uh, maybe it's because I personally prefer the, the way the other two the tables were set in the other two matches. That's yeah. why I say I had to detach myself. Uh, and parameters are a good thing. I mean, yeah. Sometimes look what happened to Vince Russo when the parameters of like were removed and he became a headbucker in WCW. Yeah, um, you know, Monty Python the Holy Grail is a lot better than Monty Python's Meaning of Life. One of them had next to no money. One of them had as much money as they needed. Yeah. Um, but but that's in saying that though, I'm still saying this is, you know, it's the weakest of the three, but it's still basically a perfect match. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's a great way of summing up how I feel about it as well. Um, it, it, it's just sometimes... It's the Toy Story, depending on what you view is. it's the Toy Story 1 of wrestling matches or something. Or it's the Toy Story 4 of wrestling matches, maybe. Not the best of the series, but still better than nearly every other movie you'll see that year. I was going to say, Toy Story 1's not the weak one out of that series. Mm. Uh, it's 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 the um, I'm just trying to think of another example. It's the 1994 World Cup win for Brazil. They yes. don't even like to talk about that one that much. Penalties <laughs> on penalties. <laughs> How dare you? Just so un-Brazilian. Yeah. So, so anyway, Simon, if people want to give us contact, uh, get in contact with us. About better ways to use either uh, better ways to use metaphor or analogy, or also think of alternative synonyms for emphasize, because we that's a new one for let me tell you something bingo I think at this point. Oh yeah, how can they do so? They can get in touch with me on Twitter where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of columns in the win loss draw column between these two that have a one in them. Uh, my name's Lorcan Mullen. That's 
L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for absolute N for perfection. That's my Twitter handle at the end of perfection, obviously. not. I don't think perfection is spelt with an N at the start. <laughs> um, that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox. If you get in touch with me on email, just put it at gmail.com at the end of Lorcan Mullen. Uh, our show email is lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is our Twitter handle. We have a Facebook page. And Simon, what is the kappa? What is the Marty and Doc trying to get out of 1885 through the means of a locomotion? Locomotion? Come on, baby, do the locomotion. (laughs) That did come out the same year as that film. Um, What have we got coming up? It's pretty obvious if you're following it. Um, Uh, Well, yeah, Uh, for for every semi-final, every two semi-finals, there must be a final. There was no third, fourth place playoff this time because Tanahashi and Okada just said, fuck off! (laughs) We don't like that. That's stupid. Uh, it is. Have you seen my neck? Have you seen his arm? <laughs> We're not doing this for nothing. Uh, but we are doing an episode where we talk about the G1 final, which is between Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito. And that is something for us all to look forward to, isn't it? But anyway, there's nothing left that we can say at this point other than my name is Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a six star time. Until the next time. Stop.